Hello and welcome to the Celtic Way Morning Briefing Live for Tuesday, January 10th. I'm joined today by TCW news writer Aidan McDonald. How's it going, Aidan? You good? Yeah, I'm good, Sean. How are you? Not bad, not bad. It's weird being so quiet today with no drawbridge getting put in it in Castle Haggerty. <laughs> um, I, I mean, before we start, I always need to do this uh, before we start. We've still got a subscription offer for you. Uh, last couple of days of this offer, £1 for two months of full access to the website. Uh, as we're always saying, we're more than a podcast. We've, on the website, there's all sorts of in-depth features. There's analysis, statistical and otherwise. There's opinion columns, uh, deep dives, big interviews and all sorts on the site. Uh, and you can get access to it all and support us as well um, for just £1. Or if you prefer doing it yearly, there's 25% off. That just now takes you down to £26. Um, so get on that on the website today. There's a couple of things actually. Aidan, Tony's, Tony did last night's newsletter on Jota's kind of return to form, which might be coming at the right time for another League Cup semi-final uh, masterclass. Because obviously last year, the St Johnston game, made the Rabona, he got man of the match. I know he never scored the goal, but he had a, he was man of the match. I was doing the ratings, I was at Hamden, and he was the standout that day. So Tony thinks that's coming again this weekend, um, given after his illness and he's kind of been off the boil, that he came back against the uh, Rangers, made a contribution in the derby, and then scored the opener against Kilmarnock. So he's convinced me, Aidan, I don't know about you, um, yeah, he's been in really good form and there was a game <laughs> you wanted to sort of score or get another goal, I should say, sorry, then obviously you'd want it to be at hand. And that was actually a good shout about the Rabona at last season. That's something I just completely forgot about. Obviously, just so much happening over the last 12 months. There's a wee clip of that in that article I've shoved in as well, just if anybody forgot about it as well. But And then in addition to that, Stuart Ross has had a wee dig into Dyson Maida's post-World Cup form. Because I think we can all see he's, he's been he's been playing at a slightly different level. He's been a lot better since he since he came back. He's found his scoring touch. But Stuart points out it's not came at the expense of kind of supplying others. He got another assist at the weekend, and it's more to the point. It's not came at the the, the expense of his magnificent defensive performances. So Stuart dove right into that. Um, well worth a read. Got some of the data, some of the the, the kind of the other stuff about his, his performances. So always like a wee bit of Dyson Maida propaganda, Aiden, since I tipped him to be an out, outside chance for the uh, top scorer award, and it's it's not quite happened. But it's not quite happened. But you know he's, he's been putting up good numbers this season, Sean. So you never know. I think it would maybe still take a major injury to be honest for him. I hate a top goal scorer. <laughs> Uh, and also, as we said yesterday, the Celtic Way Morning Briefing is now sponsored by Seneca Medical Group. Uh, Seneca are the number one hair transplant company in Europe and offer innovative hair restoration treatments. And you can find out more about them via the links in the description of this video. Um, right, Aidan. Okay, it's Tuesday. Um, last game was Saturday. The next game Saturday. Nothing but training in the meantime. Yet the first topic today is still VAR. Now, a report uh, a report by Jordan Campbell of The Athletic earlier in the week said that the Professional Game Board has contacted all 12 top flight clubs and they'll be invited to voice their concerns and, and more, more to the point, proposed changes or clarifications on the handball rule in particular. Now, I had heard of the, the Professional Games Board, but I wasn't really sure what it was. Um, so I had a wee look in the SFA site and stuff, and it, it, as it always is, it's unclear what their actual remit is. I noticed the English FA down south is an actual document setting out exactly what they're concerned with. I can't find one on the Scottish FA one, but it does say who the who the who's in the structure. So it's concerned with the kind of operational level aspects of the professional game, they say, and it's got a board structure. So the chairs Mike Mulraney, Scottish FA vice president, and then the members of it include Michael Nicholson, Celtic CEO, um, but also Ian Maxwell, the SFA CEO, 
uh, Neil Doncaster, the SPFL chief exec, Les Gray, SPFL vice, uh, sorry, Hamilton Aki's vice chairman, um, Ken Ferguson from the SPFL, who's breaking City honorary vice president, I think, uh, Duncan Fraser, who is um, Aberdeen's managing director, Finlay Noble, who's the Highland League vice president, and then Tom Brown, the, the Lowland League chairman. So basically, Aidan, they want to hear from all 12 professional clubs, uh, sorry, all 12 premiership clubs, um, and are then intending to take the concerns and suggestions to IFAB, my pals from IFAB. Um, the Daily Record took the story a bit further by revealing that there will still be a summer review of VAR with Ian Maxwell, but the, the PGB want to get the ball rolling now, basically because of all the controversy that it's been causing. Um, what's your thoughts then? Is this a good and sensible move? Well, obviously, we've kind of expressed our issues with VAR, or specifically not even with VAR, specifically with the sort of handball rule at times this season. So I think the fact that they are going to discuss it is a good thing. Obviously, in the past, not not for VAR, but for a lot of things, there's <laughs> there's been uh, other uh, you know summits and discussions, and it feels like sometimes it ends up not really leading to anything. Hopefully, this is a bit different, and they come up with a sort of succinct you know piece of material that they can then give to to IFAB to try and sort of clear it up because the whole handball thing. I think uh, Sean, uh, it was mentioned on Sports Scene, I think as well. It was just this uh, the other night that it's just sort of really unclear at times for what is and what isn't a handball and obviously we've seen plenty of recent examples of that I know we've discussed it today at times the one from the game against Rangers at this point but I think if it comes to a sort of solution in which they can come out and be something that could clear things up then it would be a good thing but I'm not going to hold my breath just based off previous sort of meetings that all the clubs have had to discuss other issues in the game and it's not really led to anything. Of course, Maxwell already had a, a meeting with clubs, uh, I think was it slightly before the World Cup break, just at the advent of the World Cup break. And uh, Brian Roberts has come in saying nothing will change. He, he's kind of of that opinion. I suppose that is the next question. Will it even lead to change, Aidan? That simple, seems a simple question, but I suppose it's not got a simple answer. Nah, it's quite hard to answer because it depends what they propose. We obviously don't know the exact wording or all the exact sort of concepts they're going to put forward. Well, it lead to change. Uh, hopefully, it would, it would lead to things being cleared up a wee bit more. But well, as I don't want to repeat myself, but I'm not going to hold my breath just purely based off previous meetings that the SFA have had with clubs for other issues and either drag stuff on for ages or just lead to nothing really happening. But hopefully, this is different. The handball rule seems to be the the focus of this meeting next week, by all accounts. But there was suggestion, albeit only in kind of passing comment, of better lines of communication between decision makers like match refs or, or the VARs and supporters and, and management teams and stuff like that. Which I think is something that they should really have considered before rolling it out. Aiden, as, as I said a few months back, they need to be seen to be proactive in terms of building trust, not just in the system but in the officials operating the system, should have been given much, much higher priority for me. They know Basically, they know the landscape in which they operate, so why have they ignored it, is what I would say. Yeah, it's strange that it wasn't even, well, it appears to be something that wasn't even really considered. Um, that is another thing that would be quite good to come out of the meeting if it was then established that they had to make clear why said decision was made. Not maybe quite, you know, they come out and they, they produce like a 20-minute video or 
a, a big massive document after every single game, but just that there's some sort of clarity that it's clear why the referee made this decision, whether it's it's through on the live coverage when you're watching it or something at the game. I don't know the exact specifics, but that would be another good thing if they came out of it, if they could sort of hash out something that would allow that, because I think that would put more trust in the officials from uh, supporters of all clubs, and it would have a bit more transparency, and overall it would make the game better. So, yeah, as we always sort of discussing the handball rule, it would be quite good if they could make clear that there was going to be some sort of way that the referees or slash the VAR officials could uh, communicate why decisions were made. I mean, I if there's an avenue to make officials less of a protected species, as I keep saying, in terms of the decisions, I'm all for it. You, you all know where I stand on it. I've, I've been saying for months the, the kind of reference to that NBA last two-minute report concept of publishing a, a text base, as in you don't need to go and stand in front of a camera right after the game and see it. Um, but publishing a text-based explanation in, let me say, 48, within 48 hours, within 24 hours, um, for any game-changing or game-altering decisions made. They, they use it in the NBA, they use it near the end of games. But that's why it's the two-minute report. But given football such a low-scoring sport, for me, it would, it would be any decision that met the threshold within the 90 minutes, the 97 minutes, whatever it is that they play by the time injury time's been applied and stuff. So, for instance... Those decisions that are already automatically meant to be checked by VAR would all qualify for this in, under my, kind of, my idea, uh, written report, and any other non-calls. So it doesn't need to be just something that they've called, whether they've called it right or wrong. If they choose not to call something that, in retrospect, they should actually have to explain, that would be in this report as well. And it would need to meet a defined criteria for having potentially impacted the scoreline, for instance. So, say an official, I don't know, say this is something that happened earlier in the season, say an official doesn't blow for a head knock initially, and a team has a shot on goal wins a corner, it doesn't even need to result in a goal, but it results in an attack that could have resulted in a goal, then the official needs to explain why they didn't stop the game. Like that kind of thing. Because it happened earlier in the season when, um, what, was it the Hearts game? I can't remember. It might have been Dundee United as well. There was there was one, and I came on here and mentioned it after it, where the referee took what felt like ages to, to blow for a head knock, it happened near one of the, the the assistant referees and they had no reaction to it whatsoever. Now, obviously, it didn't lead to a goal and all that, but I, I, I do think there should be a, a provision in this idea that I'm talking about where they need to say why they didn't, why why there was a non-call. Now, I don't know if you listened to Aidan. I said to you and Tony in the group chat the other day, this is something you need to listen to, but having listened to Kenny Clark, a former referee, attempt to go toe-to-toe with Michael Stewart on Sports Sound over the weekend to me. Um, it seems that the response would probably be to this kind of idea, would probably be that it would be more trouble than what it's worth. Or that they tried something similar with that whistleblower site a few years ago and it didn't work because I think Kenny Clark said it only really generated negativity. Now to that, what I'd say is have faith in your own officials. It's not always going to be the case that why they got it wrong. It can conceivably why they got it right and then foster some of that understanding of the thought process that hides behind the word interpretation a lot. I mean, I went on a bit of reading, but that's my two bobs worth anyway. I don't know. Maybe I should set it down in paper before somebody else does. <laughs> I, I think it would be a really sort of efficient way to basically just improve the whole relationship between fans and officials, coaching staff and players and officials. It would lead to more transparency. I, I honestly can't really see any negatives to it. I know obviously you were saying that Kenny Clark talked about the whistleblower thing, but I think it would be a positive in the fact, I know we've, we've obviously used this example a couple of times, but the fact that a sport as big as the NBA uses something similar, I know it's, it's near the end rather than the, 
the whole match, but the actual concept, the fact that they use it and it's effective is already evidence that it does kind of work. It's not like a concept you're plucking out that doesn't exist in professional sports anywhere. I could understand if there was more pushback if that was the case because it was something completely new. It feels like something that would be good, but I I can't I can't see them doing it. Unfortunately, Sean just just based mm. off uh, sort of the protected species the, thing. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I think it would really improve everything to do with the game in particular with VAR. There's never going to be a better time to introduce it after not long since they brought in the technology. But I just can't see it myself. I mean. When Kenny Clark brought up that whistleblower site and said that it didn't work really and it, it just fostered negativity, um, Michael Stewart had said basically that if you just completely still refuse to... It basically, basically, Kenny Clark could say is that fans are always going to moan regardless. It's basically the gist of what, what I, I, I think he was saying. And Michael Stewart said that that's where the, the comment went viral, that it was a lazy thing, it was, it was, um, it was a, a cop-out and that the attitude would be... Kind of considered to be, oh well, we get it right, and the fans are only moaning because it went against their team. That, that's what Michael Stewart said, and I think he had the measure of the argument basically when he said that. Um, but to me, it comes back to that transparency thing. They know the landscape in which they operate. Scottish football in general, and Celtic fans more than any fan base have actual reasons to distrust the authorities as well. Uh, and that's not just me blowing smoke. That is like a, that is a fact. Um, so. Knowing that Scottish football fans in general, but Celtic fans in particular, have reasons to to kind of distrust officialdom in general, why not know? Why not recognise the the landscape in which you operate to the extent that if anything you go overboard with the explanations and overboard with the the kind of trying to foster this trust that just isn't there. Yeah, I completely agree. And to be honest, it's something long as you've mentioned. It's something that's it should be long before VAR came in. It should have been an idea that was sort of regularly floated or uh, brought in just just for sort of because because of the landscape of Scottish football, the fact that it's taking this sort of technology to come in the actual for them to sort of talk about raising it at a meeting and potentially something that could be brought in is is well overdue. But it's I just I think it would be a good thing, and I've mentioned that before on this. I just don't think it's going to happen, and the fact that sort of Kenny Clark's pushback is obviously, I, I would say, is probably reflective of a, a few officials in terms of how they would feel about that. And it does go back to the sort of protected species thing that you mentioned. I just think his reaction, obviously, you can't, I can't say that's what every official's reaction would be. I'm not saying that's the case, but I think the fact that he was, even though I've asked with this what he was saying, he seemed to sound confident in what he was saying, even though it didn't really hold up in that sort of debate with Michael Stewart, the fact mm-hmm. that he, that's sort of the opinion he was holding makes me think that he's not the only one that's sort of got that point of view in regards to officials. I don't, I don't I agree with you. I don't think it will be. Um, I, people people use the phrase, like, Turkey's voting for Christmas. I don't think it would be unless, unless you genuinely think that, like Michael Stewart said, the referees are simply interpreting it completely wrongly. If Unless you know that deep down, then why, if you think that they're doing it right, then why would you not say, right, well, this is the thought process behind it. So again, I, I think uh, it's well worth a listen, to be honest, if you've not listened to it yet, but I think Michael Stewart had the, had the measure of it, in my opinion, anyway. Um, Carol Nemzo comes in here and says, there are terrible calls all around the globe, whether it's the NBA, the NHL, English Premier League, etc. But he says, as long as they are trying to be consistent, then you know where you stand at least. But he doesn't see much evidence of that in the SPFL. And that is basically what Michael Stewart said, that they're hiding behind the interpretation, the subjectivity thing. Uh, to 
excuse a call that is totally inconsistent with the other calls that have been made? Yeah, pretty much. And it, people make mistakes, it happens, but you should have to justify why you made that decision and admit that you got it wrong if you did, regardless of what game you're doing. And obviously, all the sports has mentioned there, yeah, officials are going to make mistakes. It's a high-pressure scenario, everything moving so quickly. But the fact that in the NBA, for example, to go back to it, they're able to say, this is why this happened, you know, or that this is the reason this decision was made uh, because of so-and-so. So supporters, whether they like it or not, can then see an official reason for why it's happened. The fact that they can just go and make a decision that could be wrong, whether it benefits Celtic or goes against if it's the incorrect decision, mm-hmm. and then that's just that. Not, nothing really happens. And then, no doubt, a few weeks later, you end up seeing something similar in another game because it's almost like the lesson's not been learned. The fact that it's in like, a professional game like that, where I know the referees aren't full-time, but obviously all the teams are, is just the more you think about it is quite crazy, to be honest. But look, hopefully with the fact that this is something that's going to be brought up at meeting between all these teams, it is maybe the first step of it being brought into place, or at least being approached anyway. Uh, my hash coming in saying, VAR won't be an issue Celtic can get their XG above two and a half. It's not been an issue so far in terms of results. That, that derby... The handball eh, non-penalty decision aside, you can't really say that it's impacted Celtic's final scores, but that's almost besides the point for me, Aidan, and that actually is when it's more important that, that you hear eh, or, or that we bring up contentious decisions or decisions that were just wrong, um, because you can't then be accused of oh, it's because Celtic dropped points or it's because the it's because it affected the scoreline or it affected the, the lead at the top of the table, because it's not, it's not affected it yet. Uh, and I say yet because at some point it probably will through the balance of probabilities. And as much as Mahesh is, is, is kind of tongue in cheek saying if they get their XG above two and a half, it won't matter. That is essentially what they've been doing for the, the last few months since VAR came in is, well, we'll score enough anyway. Matt O'Reilly says, what was it? They still can't stop us anyway, the VAR decisions. Yeah, the um, and uh, I mean, out with this latest derby, it hasn't. There's been no points dropped apart from that St. Minning game, and that was nothing to do with her. Yeah, no, so so far it's it's not been an issue, but as you say, all of averages, if you're going to have constantly have decisions going like, against you, particularly like uh, significant ones like handballs leading to penalties, which also gives the opposition a really good opportunity to score, it is inevitably going to cost you a game. Obviously, it did, it wasn't Celtic that dropped points to Ibrox, but it was a draw and it was still a decent point. It is inevitably going to lead to you losing a game at one point if, if it keeps continuing on the current trajectory that it is. Mm-hmm. I think as well it is important to talk about it after obviously Celtic win a game because like you say, it doesn't make you look better that you're just really annoyed to drop points and you're trying to mm-hmm. sort of grasp at straws for excuses. If you're consistent and uh, being annoyed at decisions that go against the team when they win games, then that then does give you a right. If there is a game that comes, they do lose. Or the game at Ibrox where they drew that you can then comment on it because it's not like you've never mentioned it when you know, you're, you're beating teams 4-5 now, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pucci, the first coming in here with an interesting comment, saying in the AFL, the head of umpires released a statement on Monday for anything contentious and if they made a mistake, they'll own up. I mean, I, I'll, I'll look at it. I might even, if I write that article, I'll put that in it as well, because obviously I, my mind went to the NBA because I watched the NBA. I don't, I don't watch the AFL, but that's, I'm, I will look that up. That's an interesting one, and it sounds similar, to be honest. It sounds, it sounds like a similar concept. Um, a novel concept and in, in not even just Scottish football, but British football, I would suggest. But I really don't see the the downside to it, and except 
the fact that you might be scared that officials will get more big decisions right eh, wrong than they'll get right. Yeah, it does seem like that. I mean, if, if they were to do that sort of that specific example that the commenter mentioned there when they actually owned up to the mistakes in the piece, I don't know if I could ever quite see that, even if eh, they did draw, start releasing sort of eh, documents after games to explain why decisions happened. I don't know if I could ever see Scottish officials admitting that they got something wrong, but if it, if it came to that that case, then that would sort of open up the, the relationship between sort of fans and officials. It'd probably lead to getting a lot less grief on the field as well. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's in the frustration of games, people are still going to get frustrated with referees, but it would make clear, you know, that this is why it happened and I'm sorry I got it wrong and I'll try and learn from it. And then you would hope that would then improve the standard of the refereeing across the course because if that specific person made a mistake, you know, the next time they're in a similar situation, they would focus on that and think, right, I've put in writing that I'm sorry I've made this mistake before. I understand why I got it wrong. I'm not going to do it again. So you would hope that that would then improve the standard of everything overall, but we'll just need to wait and see. <laughs> Uh, right, 20 minutes, Aidan, on VAR on a oh, Tuesday morning. Um, aye, somebody says it's a rabbit hole. We've went down a rabbit hole again, but just because that was in the news, and aye, I thought I'd go my wee rant anyway, Aidan, but uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> um, but we'll move on. The other topic on the agenda today is, uh, well, one that's been on it for a, a while now, Yodros Yakimakis, Aidan. Uh, we spoke about him for a while yesterday, but since then, several sources have said there may be up to five clubs looking at him. Now, Urawa Red Diamonds of the J1 League were the main contenders in our discussion yesterday, but now teams like Sampdoria have been mentioned. Um, now, that is a team, going back to what I was saying about record fees and all that, that's a team that is capable of paying a transfer fee higher than the kind of five to six million that Celtic reportedly were willing to accept. So is it a good thing if there are several clubs now in the running? Might Celtic get a bit more than expected after all? Yeah, I would say it's definitely a good thing. You can almost play the clubs off against each other. And you've got if you've got a team like Sampdoria coming in, like you say, you know, Serie A side, they've spent a bit of money in the past. You'd imagine that's a team that uh, I wouldn't be able to name a specific transfer figure, but as you said, definitely more than the five to six million. You would hope maybe moving towards more than ten million mark. Uh, if you're starting to introduce a, a team like that, I would hope anyway it would be more than that sort of original fee it was quoted. I don't think it would be quite, you know. Premier League tax inflated numbers because mm. that's just the way it is down there. That's kind of a bit of an outlier. Even though the market overall nowadays is a bit crazy, the Premier League is just sort of another level. But yeah, I think having a having a team like Sampdoria, clubs like that, eh, or sort of five clubs overall, I should say, sorry, that is good. It allows Celtic to be in a bit of a better negotiating position, I would say, rather than you've only got one. That the kind of hamstrings you if the player them now wants to leave, which we don't know if that's the case, but. If he really wants to leave and you've only got one club in the cable, that kind of forces Celtic's hand a wee bit. But having plenty of teams, I would say, puts them in a better position. I mean, not to focus too much on Sampdoria, because you, you never really know until a bid comes in. But they have paid the sort of money in terms of maybe nine, ten million, and a lot more than that for players in like four of the last five seasons, I think it was. So they are a club that is willing to part with cash if, if need be. Um and I just think that if there are up to five clubs interested and one of them has previous for paying decent money, certainly decent money at Celtic's level, then it should be the case that, even if it's not the word bidding more, but it should be the case that it drives up the price even a wee bit more. Because I think a lot of people were hoping that when, when it came out with the Mitchell reports that Celtic were willing to accept about five to six million, I think a lot of people were saying, well, 
Can maybe get a bit more for the the Eredivisie and then SPFL Premiership top scoring back to back seasons. Even though, as I, as I've said, his his peak value is basically the last window probably. But even though his his age is maybe obviously the peak year, but not paying for potential. That thing I always say. But I think a lot of people were maybe thinking, well, five to six. I think they could have maybe got a wee bit more if they were if they were lucky. Yeah, that was kind of my thinking as well. To be honest, Sean, just in terms of the transfer fee, when we were talking about it yesterday, I wasn't. It was Grant between the two of, eh, not to bring Grant if it's into it too much. And I've spoken to him today for this point, but just in terms of you know potential players that can move on in the sort of next window to the next six months, Grant, mm. was the one obviously between the two that even before the World Cup, I was thinking would probably just command a bigger fee. But with a uh, Yakimakis, I would when you were talking about five to six million yesterday, I was hoping that maybe the club could get a wee bit more, but obviously at the time with that link, it, there was only really the one main team as a sort of outlier. So, it, you know, it, it could have been there was only one option, but if there is, just to go back to it, if there is five clubs, if one of them is potentially Sampdoria, then I would like to think Celtic could get at least a wee bit more than that, if not a significant chunk more if you're able to play clubs off against each other, but obviously it just depends. we have to wait and see. Um, I, I mean, I agree with that. I think... With, with these things, it is always the kind of old saying that it's only worth what somebody will pay and all that. And I know that, but and that's always going to be the case. But you can still you can still debate for posterity the, the ins and outs and why you think maybe it should be more or should be less. The Juranovic one has been a case in point um, with, the, with, with people saying 20-odd million. And I've never really been at that level. But then with the six, seven million uh, that Monza are rumoured to be, to be looking at, which I gave a bit of a fee for them. I was still a wee bit, well, off the back of a good World Cup and even considering all the things I'd say is about his age counting against him, but the contract counting for Celtic and different things, I was still thinking, well, that seems slightly on the lower side um, to me. So you, you just never know, I suppose, Aidan, is, is what I'm saying. Um, on, well, as an aside, uh, Cho Gyu-sung, interesting Rangers, uh, apparently, and Newman. Uh, maybe Celtic's transfer policy must be looking like it's worth following after all then, eh? Insert that sort of, I think it's in like Mr Bean, that meme when he's pure looking across trying to copy the person besides his homework. But <laughs> I think, uh, I think, I think uh, it's, it, uh, it, I know this has kind of happened in the past for, for a lot of players, most of which ends up, the, the, the player ends up signing for neither of the two clubs. Over the years there's been, there's been many in which either Rangers are originally linked to Sunday or Celtics are originally linked to Sunday, and then it kind of becomes sort of, a transfer line to put both of them. They are suddenly mm-hmm. interested. Okay. It's happened a lot, and it's quite a lot of players. I, I'm trying to actually remember the last time it happened, and then said player ended up signing for either two clubs because it is usually. Well, if you're going, uh, I don't know if this is the last time, but Scott Allen. Scott Allen, yeah, that's um, that was that was very much Celtic going. Now nah, we don't want them to have them. So, yeah, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. Um, is there a, is there a, is there a bit of that about this? Yeah. Um, is that, or is there a jink? If it is true, there is genuine interest, as in that that is a, a tight a strike, striker that fits their profile. I mean, I don't, I can't claim to dive into Rangers in anywhere near the way that I dive into Celtic. So I know he kind of he does fit with Celtic's profile. Looking at the strikers Rangers have got, he's not like any of them. No, I wouldn't say so. I mean, obviously, if they they go and put a bid in like Celtic have, and then you would say, well, there must be some genuine interest. Mm. They've obviously seen something there that they think they can add to his style of play. At the moment, it does kind of just seem like, well, Celtic's linked with the player, so, you know, Rangers are suddenly linked with them rather than there's anything concrete. Aye. 
and obviously we're doing work on the sky that Celtic have, as far as we know, submitted a bid. Uh, but like, if over the next sort of 24, 40 hours, Rangers were able to suddenly submit a bid for Tro, mm. then obviously they must have a, an interest in him. That would then kind of change the dynamic. But at the moment, I would say it does seem a wee bit kind of just mm-hmm. an easy sort of line to throw in that Rangers are linked with a player Celtic. Or. That's a fair observation, to be honest. It's been known, it's been known uh, before, so you might be right. It was uh, Mines, the um, German Bundesliga club that were apparently in the race to sign him as well. And um, the reports are that, that Celtic are, are, are kind of front runners over them now rather than the other way about. Um, I would say, though, and this isn't a dig or anything, but if it does become a case of who's going to bid more than clearly Celtic are in a better position than Rangers will be. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, the fact, obviously, just based off where they're sitting this season, what club would they want to come and join a team, basically the team that's got a bet at the I'm moment? I'm thinking more finances in terms well, of yeah, finances, finances are, are far, far better. Finances well, particularly if you're going to potentially sell Yakimakis and Juranovic, uh, uh, forgot his name there, given how much I speak about him. You already uh, Yuran- got him at the door? I know. Juranovic <laughs> uh, and Yakimakis, if, they, if they're both to potentially leave, then that would obviously increase the sort of budget you could offer a player in terms of wages slash transfer fee even more. Mm-hmm. And I was more just thinking, I know, finance, but I was just thinking at the moment, uh, Celtic are in a better position to offer Champions League football, you know, at the start of next season, which mm-hmm. in January, I'd imagine is something that a lot of players think about. We've obviously mentioned in the past about building the squad for January. Sorry, building the squad, adding to the squad, sorry, in January for uh, the Champions League uh, next season so maybe from a sort of player coming in perspective that could be something that he's considering which at the moment given Celtic's nine points clear they can offer that uh, yeah we'll just just need to wait and see on that one is what I would say again uh, Gary McDowell coming in saying if Cho doesn't come to Celtic is there a backup option that you know of there's been plenty of names bandied about Aiden hasn't another side Hamulich is the one that comes to mind right away uh, mostly because Stuart compared him and Cho directly when both of yeah, them yeah, at the same time one, uh, you've got Angelo Tyro coming in saying where's a Yeti anyways he's obviously still at Sturm Graz he's technically still a Celtic player as well Aiden can't really see him coming back and making any sort of inroads I think that the hope is that he gets he gets purchased whether it's Sturm Graz or whether it's someone else uh, I think I don't think they're back until start of February I think they take uh, they take a break from end of November right through to the start of February, uh, the Austrian Bundesliga. So I suppose you'll just need to monitor him and see what happens. Uh, the, the, the hope is, I suppose, that he scores a few goals between now and the end of the season and someone bids. Yeah, that is the hope. I mean, he'd scored, he scored a couple at the start and obviously they were in that crazy Europa League group where I think it was with one game to go, every team had the same points or something. something yeah, it was. Every, uh, every, every team could qualify. Uh, with a Yeti, I mean, when to be honest, see when he first came in, it seems so long ago now. But I remember when he when he first signed at the time, and I I was quite excited about him because he had a good good score good goal scoring record at Bal. He scored goals in the Champions League as well, which probably isn't often sort of a start that would be on the radar for a player Celtic or try to bring in from a forward point of view. Uh, he also went to West Ham and it hadn't worked out, but they had mm-hmm. something in him originally. I was quite excited about a Yeti, but. Oh, we, know yeah. got, uh, we know when it didn't work out, but this is the best case scenario now, is like you say, gets a few goals the second half of the season and some teams want to take them off Celtic's books in the summer. Uh, the comment in here, John McCauley saying, what about Mikey Johnston? Has his loan turned out well? Well, I've dug out there, you probably heard me tighten. Uh, we had an article up at the end of November. Um, Stuart 
went and kind of assessed, scouted basically, which Stuart does, he scouts people, uh, scouted Mikey Johnston's loan performances for Vitoria over in Portugal. And uh, I've put a link in the comments if you want to read of that. It was, uh, it, was, it was good. I mean, again, it's the same argument. The only difference being age, I suppose, uh, as I made with Rocco Vata, in that if you're in that squad, there's so many in front of you that it's very hard to, to make the breakthrough, very hard to even get a chance to make the breakthrough. Um, so I think that'll apply to Mikey Johnston when he comes back, just as much as it applies to Rocco Vata and the B team just now. Yeah, it's going to be hard for Mikey Johnston. There's so much depth in the winger position, even before Celtic added Aksibanovic, really, in the, in the summer. There was already so many players in those positions. Shorter, uh-huh. Maeda, Abada, even Forrest, who's came into it a wee bit more of this sort of campaign. There's a lot of competition there. Even if Mikey Johnson was, you know, flying and contributing a lot, you, it would still be hard for him to be in the team every week. I mean, you've seen with Abada, his numbers have been excellent and he's been in and out. Even if Mikey Johnson was putting up those sorts of stats, there wouldn't be a guarantee he was playing every week. There's definitely a player in there with Mikey Johnson. And obviously, as a fan of him, I would say the fact that they gave him that contract extension before they put him out on loan, he mm. must see some sort of future. Uh, my only sort of thing is he's not played loads in Portugal. I mean, he's played more than he's definitely played in the last few seasons for Celtic. He's been, he's been starting lately, yeah. He's been starting he has, lately. He has, he has been starting, but I, I just, I, I know obviously there's been a break for the World Cup. I understand that, but I was hoping he might have played a wee bit more. But there's still half a season left, you know what I mean? He could play what another. I'd be hoping to try and play at least another 20-odd games or so, even more than that, before he comes back, just so he mm. actually gets a full season of if he's not injured as well, sort of uninterrupted football, because he's not really had that since he's been a professional player. Uh, since he made his debut, it was his, the invincible season he made his debut, wasn't it? And since then, so. since then, uh, every season he's had an injury, some more serious than others. Sometimes he's had an injury that's kept him out for the almost whole season. Other times he's been wee knocks here and there, but the sort of, sort of mount up, it would be good for him to get just a whole season. But yeah, the fact that he's been starting a wee bit more recently is positive. I think he started nine of the last 11 games. That is uh, a decent year on. He's two goals, two assists in that time as well. As I say, the, and, uh, to be honest, their form's not been great lately, but nonetheless, he's still getting a game. And as I say, Stuart's, um, the link's in there in the comments if you want to read what Stuart had to say about him at the end of November. So, but, but, I mean, we'll do another update on him before the end of the season anyway. That, that's the plan. Um, for a couple of, not all the loanies, I think the, the loanies that you feasibly think might come back and, and have some sort of role or even get a chance in pre-season to, to, to get a, to stake a claim. So Mikey Johnston, I think, does still qualify as one of those. Yeah, um, the likes of Ayeti, I, I don't think does. Um, yeah. Maybe a drastic upturn in form might change that, but um, but I doubt it. And then you've got the likes of Ismail Asoro, also in Portugal. Um, you've got Vasilis Barkas, who is, by all accounts, actually doing quite well. On loan, is it Utrecht he's on loan with? Yeah, Utrecht. Um, so that, I mean, I think probably the, the bridge is the bridge is burnt there, but that might still be worth looking into in a wee bit more detail for us. Um, and as I say, I've actually forgot about it, that uh, I'm going to get Tony, unleash Tony to talk about uh, Joe Hart at some point on here, um, because he's, he's been making noises, he wants to talk about it for a wee while. But the succession plan for Joe Hart is something else that, that is in the, kind of, in the back of my mind in terms of, might not be an immediate requirement, but it will need to be taken care of, whether it's Toby Willayemi is going to get his, his chance, whether it's going to be, I doubt it's going to be Scott Bain, whether Benjamin Segrist you think is capable of it, or if he's just there as a backup, or whether it's someone that we've not heard of yet, or even Barkas coming back. 
I think it's definitely going to be a discussion that comes summer is going to be right at the focal point of the fans' the sort of point of view and probably the transfer window in terms of speculation. That's a position I think that will be highlighted. Obviously, we knew we needed a goalkeeper a couple of years ago and sorry, 2021 when Joe Hart came in. And then last summer, I think everybody was, was pretty happy with Joe Hart's contribution across that season. So there wasn't a lot of discussion. It was more maybe getting a backup in with sort of Barkas moving on, sorry, moving on loan and uh, Scott Bain not really being up to number two duties, it's probably fair to say. So, yeah, I, I think that'll be something that will kind of, as I see, I, I can imagine that being sort of one of the debates of the summer, Sean, really mm-hmm. after the season and that's all wrapped up. What Celtic's going to do with the goalkeeping position? And, uh, yeah, that'll be an interesting one. I think so. Um, Gary McComb coming in saying, guys, do you have a link for the Michael Stewart v Kenny Clark interview? I noticed that Sports Sound put it up as a podcast, and as its own podcast, the kind of 35 minutes last night. So if you've got the podcast app, you search for BBC Sports Sound and it'll come up, um, or Scottish Football Podcast, it'll be actually. But you can get it on the internet as well, I'm sure. It'll be, if you Google it, it'll, it'll come up. But the some of the some of the quotes from it uh, are on our, the news section of our site as well. Um, but obviously, if you want to listen to it, it's, that's where to get it. Um, before we go, Angelo Tyro saying uh, Joey Dawson should be the third striker, and that came off the back of the, the Lovitz comment saying Big Dawson putting away goals, goals are fun the B team. The last three games, Aiden, he's got six goals. Joey yeah, Dawson. no, good starts. Obviously, he got the, the two away goals against Rangers B as well, which even some of the headlines. Uh, there was obviously the, the link about him potentially going out on loan. I do wonder maybe if that would be best for him. I can't always see him get anywhere near the Celtic team, Sean, to be honest, unless there's a, a major injury crisis, just given he's got Kyogo and at the moment, for as long as he's still here, Yakimakis. Also, in the past, Andrews uh, played a badder through the middle and we're being linked with another striker as well. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be quite difficult for him. I think I'm right in saying he's only first team appearance since coming to Celtic came during the Boxing Day game. Uh, 2021 when there was obviously the, the COVID outbreak injuries and that came off the came off the bench. I think probably the best thing for him, if he's sort of clearly shining above B team level, would maybe to be go out on loan. I know Inverness were potentially a team that was linked with him last week. I think it was. I don't know. hear too much more about that, but I think that's probably the best option for him right now, Sean. I mean, remember he's not a an academy graduate. He came up from Scunthorpe. Um, he'd made. I don't. Yeah, I don't think he played in the league, really. but he definitely played for the senior team. I don't know if it was in the league or one of the cups, but he certainly had a, a senior appearance. He's had that one appearance you say for Celtic. Um, to it. In fact, did they play in the league cup? He might have come on the league cup. He might have played in one of those games as well. Um, but obviously, you're right that the opportunities. If if they're if they're scarce for Yakimakis, they're going to be scarce for Dawson. Um, given the the kind of route that they've taken with Johnny Kenny, where he was with the B team for a while. But maybe because he'd already been exposed to a top flight game and obviously European qualifiers and different things with uh, with Sligo, he ended up going out on loan to a higher level rather than the Lowland League with the B team. Then it worked out for him at Queen's Park. He's away to the League Island with Shamrock Rovers, where I'll be keeping track of him because I, I really I really do like him. I don't know if it's just because I've done the scout report on him. I, I kinda I'm biased towards him now, but I, I really liked him pre-season as well, albeit the level of opposition wasn't much to write home about with Vina Victoria. But um interesting to see what route they go down with somebody like Joey Dawson. If he keeps scoring for fun at Lowland League level, do you then go right now? You you need to move to you need to move to whether it's a championship side like Queen's Park or whether it's a maybe a team maybe further down south or whether it's a team in Ireland or Wherever they think might suit him, because it's not always got to be 
the stereotypical, right, I'll send you on loan to somewhere else in Scotland. I mean, Stuart wrote a piece about Stephen Welsh. If he does go out on loan, where would it actually suit him? And not just, he he knows the Premiership, so punt him to Motherwell or something like they did with Liam Shaw. It was more like a team style that might actually improve him as a player because he'll be playing a similar type football that he can come back and maybe make an actual claim for for a place rather than just go on loan and then see how you do. Well, I think that's kind of been a bit of a common complaint for a lot of the loan moves, really back to before and when Neil Lennon was in charge and even under Brendan Rodgers, mm-hmm. the players were just going out, some of them particularly was lower down the pecking order, but I think with younger players it's, it's even more important that they were going out on loan just to really any club that would take them. I know that probably sounds a bit harsh, but that's what it felt sometimes, rather than actually a team that fits the style Celtic want to play will improve them as a player, so when they mm-hmm. come back... They've had a year, 18 months, maybe even two years, in, in the case of when Ryan Christie was at Aberdeen, of uh, mm-hmm. playing in that sort of way that the that the team are, so that they're not really out of that rhythm. And that is something I really would like to see improved long term. Uh, just if there was a wee, it's a st- completely separate tangent, what we think Celtic could do better, but yeah. in terms of structure, but that, that is something I think the pathway, everyone could not alone in the pathways, it'd be good to see something. That's a bit similar. An example being of a fullbacks to go out and loan. I'm not expecting them to go to a club that plays the exact same way in terms of inverted fullbacks. Oh, it is hard, but I would like to see, for example, a team that's is playing out from the back, even if it's something like that, rather than just lobbing the ball. Because if they go and do that, regardless of what standard it is, even if it is a sort of European European league, they go out and loan to the Belgian league or something like that, relatively similar standard to Scotland. Uh, Angelo Tyro coming in, sorry, Andrew Galea, sorry, coming in saying give a couple of young blokes a season in the A-League. Now, I'm not against that. I mean, I know Tom Rogic went back to the A-League because he, he was Australian, but it worked for him going back and then, and then he ended up, what, Celtic another six seasons after it, seven seasons after it. I can't remember exactly the season he went back uh, to, to Australia, but nonetheless, it did work. I think the gold standard for loans recently, Aidan, um, one not an academy graduate, one one is. Uh, <clears throat> one being Ryan Christie at Aberdeen, who was playing on a team that were winning, and except when they played Celtic, did tend to play attacking football most of the time. He was outstanding up there. Uh, they obviously wanted to keep him. Um, when the Johnny Hayes deal was getting talked about, Celtic said no, he ended up breaking into a, a team that had just gone invincible, uh, which is no mean feat. The other is uh, Callum McGregor down at Notts County, which kind of flies in the face of me saying it needs to be a team that, that, that plays good football, because they were kind of fighting against relegation and stuff that season. Um, but it, it, it came to the fore, really. came to the fore, him and Jack Grealish together. Um, so I suppose it's not a given that it's got to be that. But no, I just no, think no. it makes sense if there's certain things you want uh, someone to improve, then give them a team that is at least going to partially play the, the way he's expected to play at Celtic. Yeah, I think it's completely fair. And I know obviously you're listening to those examples. There was a, a Christopher Ayer had a relatively successful loan spell at Kilmarnock mm. as well. But the, those are kind of the outliers, aren't they, really, in terms of loans? I mean, how many players go out and loan and never mind them not coming back? Well, sorry, they do come back and just, they just end up leaving the club. They go out and loan and nothing really happens. After, there's been so many that I, I honestly, you could be here all day naming players, mm. particularly younger players that just go on loan to... Scottish clubs, Scottish World League clubs or English clubs and nothing really happens. So I think it is a model that Celtic should look to change a wee bit for, I think, maybe similar to how the managers kind of hoping, trying to get the B team to play somewhere. Yeah. His style of play wants some training. 
sort of particular way so that when if they do move up to train with the first team, even if it's for a short period, they're not completely out of their depth in terms of the instructions are being given. Now, we can't replicate and just train every single club that's, mm-hmm. that, that somebody goes and wants to. That's not feasible, but I'm just somebody that plays a wee similar way. Even if it's just the example, I used a passing the ball out from the back. So if a defender's going, they're still getting to develop that. I think longer term, that's something that the club should be looking to do. Just as a wee aside, I was I, I was kind of disappointed that Mikey Johnson never went to Aberdeen on loan last January um, when Stephen Glass was still the manager anyway. I think he got sacked in early January. But um, the way that he was wanting to set up his team, I felt for a winger, might actually have suited Mikey Johnston. Obviously, Adam Montgomery ended up going and then it, was, it wasn't Stephen Glass, it was the manager, so it was a different kind of style of play. But I just felt the way that it was set up there with Scott Brown being there, with Johnny Hayes being there, two ex-Celtic players, and then with the way that Stephen Glass was wanting them to play, I felt Mikey Johnston would have been, it would have been really beneficial for him to go to Aberdeen at the time. Um, but nonetheless, um, I suppose... I'm, I'm presuming the reason that he never went on loan in January was because Jota was still injured at that point, remember? Um, yeah, so I think absolutely. it didn't make sense to let another winger go just in case his his recovery didn't go as planned. Yeah, that would probably be why he didn't move on and that I didn't go on loan, sorry, in that uh, period because uh-huh. obviously Jota ended up coming back from the hamstring injury a lot quicker than anybody expected. I think that kind of gets forgotten about how quickly he sort of bounced back from that, but uh-huh. a lot of that could have been the case that Andrew said we all need to turn to Mikey Johnson so we can't be sending them out on loan because otherwise that would have probably been a decent enough move for him at the time mm-hmm. with what happened with Aberdeen obviously last season it probably would have been somewhat of Montgomery and it would have kind of fallen apart a bit but at the time it would have been a good move when it was the January transfer window um, Right Aidan that's 40 45 minutes or so roughly split in half between VAR and then just other assortment of other Celtic stuff anything else to add before we wrap it up? No, I think that's us, Sean. We've covered the... Uh, Set the world tonight. Right, we'll call time on it there, shall we then? Uh, good stuff. I think uh, another reminder before we go, we've got that New Year subscription deal running, which is £1 for two months or £26 for the year, which is 25% off for the yearly price. So get on that. As always, really chuffed with how many you do have done it. Uh, very much appreciated. Um, and thanks again to our new sponsor, Seneca Medical Group. As I said at the start... Uh, sorry, I've actually put that back in there. As I said at the start, um, <clears throat> they're the number one hair transplant company in Europe and offer innovative hair restoration treatments. And you can find out more about them via the links in the description of this video. Uh, but for now, Aidan, thank you for your contribution. We'll be back yes. tomorrow. Me and Tony, I think. I don't think you're on tomorrow, Aidan, are you? It's just me and just I me and Walt uh, so. Haggerty. Um, Castle Haggerty well, in the background again. Yep, yeah, we'll catch you all tomorrow. Thanks a lot for all your messages, guys, and your comments. Thanks a lot, Aidan. Cheers, guys. <laughs>